Good morning. Psalm 135, verse 3 states, Praise the Lord, for the Lord is good. Sing praises to his name, for it is lovely. It's good to gather together in the Lord's house today to worship and continue worshiping him. I pray that you've been blessed so far with song and with the reading of the word. And we pray that you'll be continue to be blessed with the opening of God's word. Three Sundays ago, that was February 5th, our brother Steve brought us a message on true worship. If you missed that message by any means, I believe it would be worthwhile for you to go on the website and listen to it again. And if you have heard it, it's probably pay you to go back and listen to it again anyway. Many of his points are essential in the application of what our passage is today. So check it out if you missed it. As we've already read the text that we'll be going over a little bit this morning, and thank you, Matt, for presenting it. No doubt many of you are very familiar with most of the verses. Some of you have probably committed many of them to memory. And perhaps you've actually heard a sermon or two on these couple of verses. If you would, turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 12, and we'll be concentrating on the first two verses, as Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. And let me read them over again, please. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good, acceptable, and perfect. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father God, through the power of your Holy Spirit, we ask that our hearts be opened, our minds instructed, and our wills yielded and submissive to you. Do your work in us. Help us to be yielded and fervent in spirit to do your work, that you may be glorified. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Set a little bit of background. The first 11 chapters of the book of Romans are filled with doctrinal teaching, most of which centers around the aspects of salvation. We have the righteousness that comes from God, God justifying the guilty sinner by his grace alone, through faith alone, and in Christ alone. Now, chapter 12, Paul turns to the practical application of this glorious gift of salvation and instructs us to what Christian living and Christian behavior is to be like. And this being accomplished through the power of the Holy Spirit within us. This new life in Christ, this new birth, is to be a life glorifying to God, a life of worship. We are to give our lives over to the living God as an act of worship. Verse 1 states, Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and a holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Of worship. We remember in the Old Testament, a priest would bring a sacrifice to the altar. He would kill it and would bleed it. It was a blood sacrifice slain to cover the sins of the people. We now know that the sacrifice would cover the sins, looking forward to a time when Jesus, the Lamb of God, would, would come and be slain for the sins of the world. 
now making the Old Testament sacrifices obsolete and no longer of any effect. Now, when we look at the word sacrifice, it primarily, primarily refers to the act of worshiping. A priest would be performing a sacrifice, making a sacrifice, presenting it as an offering unto the Lord. Then objectively, the word sacrifice itself could mean that which was offered. Maybe the lamb, the goat, the ram, the oxen, the turtle dove, what what the priest would offer as a sacrifice. Now, there were several types of sacrifices or offerings in the Old Testament. Each had its own purpose, its own reason or occasion. We had burnt offerings, we had grain offerings, we had peace offerings, we had sin offerings, guilt offerings, ordination offerings, dedication offerings. Some of them were totally burnt up. Some were partially burnt and ate. Some were boiled. Some were made up of animals and others of grain or drink. Some offerings were wave offerings, they call them, right? And others would have a combination of being put on the altar and being waved. And there was even a time when silver trumpets were blown over the offerings on certain occasions, such as a day of gladness and at times of the appointed feasts and on the first day of the month. All of of them were acts of worship. There were tangible symbols of what a heartfelt response of a sinner was to a holy God. Even though the offerings were to be spotless, the best of their kind, the first of their kind, clean, without blemish, God, even under the Old Testament covenant, was more interested in the condition of the heart of the one bringing the offering than the offering itself. 1 Samuel 15.22 reads, Samuel said, Has Lord as much delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams. In Psalm 51.17, David wrote this, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit A broken and a contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Our heart condition is of utmost importance in our offerings, in our sacrifices unto a holy God. In the Old Testament, a priest would sacrifice and perform the offerings unto God. Under the New Covenant, we as believers are priests. 1 Peter 2.9 states, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellency of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. As priests, we are to present to God a living and holy sacrifice, that of our bodies. We present to God on the altar, our bodies as a living and holy sacrifice. An author of a very popular book a few years ago wrote this, the problem with a living sacrifice is that it has a tendency to crawl off the altar. Therein is the problem that we have with a living sacrifice. 
we may have to keep dragging it back onto the altar and keep it from crawling off. We may have to keep checking our heart conditions, correcting and recentering our bodies as they ought to be. Let's look at the text now. Verse 1 states this. Therefore, I urge you, brethren. It starts off with therefore. Paul is building upon what was previously stated, building upon the truth that he just taught. Those are the first 11 chapters of Romans. So he says, therefore, or because of what I just said, therefore I urge you, I beseech you, I beg you, I appeal to you. Paul is lovingly exhorting and encouraging or counseling or pleading with who? The brethren. Who are the brethren? Those who are saved. Those who have been born again. Those who have been made alive in Christ. Those who have not been born again are not able to perform such a sacrifice of worship, nor would they want to. We see here Paul is instructing the believers, the believers specifically at Rome, but ourselves also. Now, on what basis is Paul exhorting these saved ones to follow this command? By the mercies of God. By the mercies of God. I'm begging you, he says, because of the mercies of God, you should do this. Notice it says the word mercies of God. It's plural. It's not in a singular form. So what mercies is he referring to? And what are mercies? You can look at mercies as being things that are given to us that are undeserved. And he's referring to the many mercies that were just explained in the first 11 chapters of Romans. These mercies described are that of the wonderful gift of salvation. These marvelous mercies of God contained in Romans here before this are his love, his grace, his righteousness, his gift of faith, his Holy Spirit, peace, hope, joy, power, the sharing in his glory, forgiveness, justification, eternal life, and many others, none of which we deserve, not even one. And upon concluding these first 11 chapters, describing all these marvelous acts of God, these mercies upon us, it appears that Paul could not contain himself any further. He bursts into this benediction of praise at the end of chapter 11 and proclaims, Oh, the depths of the riches of both the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has become his counselor? Or who has first given to him that it might be paid back to him again? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Oh, if we could just get a glimpse, just a portion or a fraction of understanding what all the graces of God's are, how marvelous his mercies, mercies are upon us to us who believe. We'd be singing a similar benediction, I think. The psalmist writes in Psalm 116, verse 12, 
what shall I render to the Lord for all of his benefits toward me? Basically, he's saying it's impossible to give back to God even a, a slightest fraction of what he's given to us. Now, Paul is stating, because you share in such a great salvation, I exhort you, based on the mercies of God, that you should make this sacrifice. Present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice. Render to the Lord your body. And what should motivate us to do this? The undeserved mercies of God. My friend, our gratitude to God should be so overwhelming. It should affect us in such a way that we are driven to obedience and sacrifice to him. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice. Present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice. Presenting, it's an action word. It's a priestly action. You're presenting an offering. You bring it to God. You put it on the altar. You surrender it up to God. You yield to him everything. You hold back nothing. We present our bodies. These, our bodies, are the new covenant sacrifice, the new covenant offering to the Lord. Now, for believers, the acceptable sacrifice to worship are our bodies. Our bodies in totality. Our complete bodies. All of it. That includes our voice and what we say and what we sing. Our hands and feet and what we do and where we go. Our eyes, our ears, and all that we see and what we listen to. And even our intellect and our reasoning. It's part of our body. All these, the totality of one's life and activities, are to be what he, is what he wants. That's what he wants of us. And you know, it, it amazes me, even though our physical bodies at this point in time are still corrupt, we're still in sin, still unredeemed, we're not physically perfect, and in most cases we're falling apart. These presented bodies to him as a living and holy sacrifice that's what he wants. This is what God wants from us as believers. Our bodies as a living and holy sacrifice. They are to be living, alive, not dead. They are to be active, thriving, growing, working, doing. They are also to be holy sacrifices, pure, undefiled, instruments of holiness, instruments of righteousness, yielded unto God. Our bodies are to be holy. They are to be set apart unto God. Romans 6.13 states this, And do not go on presenting your members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. Romans 6.16 says this, do you not know that when you present yourself to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves to the one who you obey, either to sin, resulting in death, or of obedience, resulting in righteousness? And again in Romans 6.19, Paul says this, For just as you presented your members as slaves to impurity and, and, and 
lawlessness resulting in further lawlessness, now present your members as slaves to righteousness resulting in sanctification. We are to be dying and dead to the world and alive and living unto Christ. We are to present our bodies a living and holy sacrifice. God is sovereign. Jesus, being our Lord and Master, he's bought us with a price. We're his bond servants. We're his bond slaves. Present to him what he already owns. Give him your total being. Obey the Master. Be slaves to righteousness resulting in sanctification. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. This is what is acceptable to God, the presentations of our bodies as living, holy sacrifices. And they're acceptable unto God, which is your spiritual service of worship. We see that this spiritual service of worship, continuing in a priestly language, the word translated, in the, at least in the New American Standard, as spiritual, is a Greek word for logikos. This is where we get the English word logical from. Some translate it as being rational or reasonable. In other words, it's meaning it's thought out, it's intelligent. In other words, it only makes sense to do this. It only makes sense. This worship, this spiritual, reasonable, logical service of worship is from the inner man. It's not from external exercises. It's not from some outward form of worship. It is not following a set of formal rules or practices or procedures or rituals. It is in the inner heartfelt love and devotion, a mind-involved rational decision of worship, worship that is in spirit and truth, as Steve reminded us. As Christians, God wants the total package, our complete you and me. He wants our total being. This includes all the parts of our body, including our minds and our wills. Our minds or our intellect. How you think is what you do. It is how you're going to act. It is your character. This is how it's developed and lived out. How you think is what you do. Ponder that for a while. Our thought process brings about how we act. What we truly believe is how we're going to behave. We take in information, we process it, we think on it. We form ideas and plans and opinions. We make decisions from this thought-out intake of information that has been stored this occurs throughout our life. This is how we live and move. Proverbs 23, verse 7 states this, For as a man thinks within himself, 
so he is. For as a man thinks within himself, so he is. You're a product of your thoughts. This is why Paul instructs us in Colossians 3, 2, to set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. He also encouraged the Philippians, let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. And in Romans 8, 5, it tells us this, that those who are according to the Spirit, capital S, Spirit of God, set their minds on things that are of the Spirit. So we understand to present our bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable unto God, which is our reasonable, rational service of worship. This is a thought-out, logical decision which involves our intellect and our will. Verse 2 goes on to say this, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Do not be conformed to this world. Conformed. Conformed can refer to assuming an outward expression that does not really reflect what's inside. It's like maybe going along with the crowd. You could look like or appear like something else. It might be like masquerading around in a costume or wearing a mask, not revealing what's really underneath. You're acting or behaving in a way that may not be you. Being pressured to go along with or looking like you want to fit in. Conform can also be being shaped by something else. I think of kids, young children playing with Play-Doh. They shape it and mold it to different forms. We are not to be conformed or molded or fashioned into or stamped out to be like this world. Like a coin that's formed, let's say, in a U.S. mint. It starts out as a piece of metal, maybe smooth, and by an exterior force, a pressure from outside, it's stamped out, reflecting in an image that it didn't have before. We're not to be conformed by this world. Not conformed by this world, this evil world, meaning this age, this world's thinking, this world's values, this world's system of beliefs, this world's morality. We're not to be conformed, not to be conformed by this world's goals, its pursuits, its fame, its power, or its pleasures. We, we must be on alert on alert to the prince and the power of the air, to the God of this world and what his tactics are. 2 Corinthians 4, 4 states, speaking about unbelievers, it states this, in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they may not see the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Satan has blinded the minds of the unbelieving. He has always been an influencer of this fallen world system. We are not to think like the world, we're not to act like the world, or live like the world. We are not to be conformed to this world. We're not to be conformed to this world, but 
be transformed. We are to be transformed. Transformed from the Greek word, which we get the idea of the English word of metamorphosis. Here, this word transformed is in a tense that's called the present passive imperative. Now, it's a really fancy way of saying this word. In other words, of saying this phrase would be this. It means to keep on being transformed. Allow yourself to keep on being transformed. An ongoing process. The metamorphosis, the transformation, this change comes from within. Being changed from the inside out. And how are we to be transformed? Be transformed by the renewing of our minds. By the renewing of our minds. This transformation occurs from your mind being renewed. Completely ongoing renovations. We must program our minds correctly. And how is this done? By your mind being renewed and saturated, immersed in the word of God. By filling your mind with the Holy Scriptures, this will reprogram and renew and renovate how we think. The constant, consistent, continual study, the memorizing, the meditation on Scriptures will permeate your mind and will transform you. Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven. Jesus said this, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Love God with your mind, with all your mind. Psalm 119, 11, Your word have I hid or have I treasured in my heart that I might not sin against you. Here lies a transforming power. God's word in our center of our being will transform us not to sin and be more like Christ. Colossians 3.16 says this, and let the word of Christ dwell within you richly, richly, abundantly, extravagantly, to dwell, to live in, to be at home in, to occupy. It is to be within us. God's word should be at the very center of every aspect of our lives. Every thought, every action, every word. When I thought of that and I read the passage from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 5 through 9. This passage comes right after, of course we're in Deuteronomy, which is the retelling of the law. comes right after the commandments were retold. And so here Moses is instructing the Israelites, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. These words which I command you this day shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons, and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand. I think about that in the things we do. And they shall be bound on the frontals of our foreheads and the things we think of. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house as reminders to us when we enter or leave and, and on the door and, and on, the, on your gates so when you're coming in and out of the world we see and remember his word. 
These words describe a life totally consumed and dedicated to the scriptures. Living day in and day out with the scriptures in every part of your day. For you and your family. The scriptures should encompass every daily activity in our lives. So that your life would be centered around God and his word. Do not be conformed to this world, to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Two very different actions. We have conformed versus transformed. Both are conditions that bring about change. One for the bad and one for the good. The world wants to conform us and to control us by polluting our minds. It feeds to us all sorts of junk that it can, through TV, movies, commercial ads, radio, music, magazine, books, secular education, enticing experiences maybe. These try to conform us and put pressures on us from the outside. They are outside pressures and influences upon us. The ongoing transformation is being done by the renewing of our minds our minds being renewed, saturated, and immersed in God's word, this changes us from the inside out. The Holy Spirit of God uses the Holy Scriptures to work within us, to change us from the inside out. And in doing this, he battles against and pushes back against the pressures that come upon us from the outside. Your mind controls your body. Your will controls your mind. So we must yield our wills to God. Give him our minds, renew them continually in scriptures and be transformed. This will cause biblical thinking, resulting in an ongoing sanctification of our bodies. A renewed mind will result in a submissive will to God. We must yield to him our bodies, our minds, and our wills. We are being transformed by the renewing of our minds so that we may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable, that you may prove what the will of God is. I believe this refers to living out what God wants in our lives, how God wants us to live, demonstrating to the world what God wants in each of us. We are being transformed, renewing by the renewing of our minds, which will result in the will of God in us. His will becoming our inner desire, our inner desire to do. His will being lived out in us before our very own eyes at that point. Because we want to do what God wants us to do. Philippians 2.13 states for, it is God who works in you, both to will and to do for his good pleasure. That which was good and acceptable and perfect. To sum up this, basically, our bodies are to be offered a living and sacrifice unto God, holy sacrifice unto God. Our minds would be transforming and renewed. Our wills would be to submissive to God's will in our lives. The rest of the chapter, which chapter 12 states, by doing this, it will result in us being put 
to use with our spiritual gifts and use and having a burning desire to live our lives like Christ, a Christ-like life. We present our bodies a living and holy sacrifice. When we give our bodies totally over to God, he wants us humbly to put, him, put them to his use. Each of us has at least one spiritual gift. Most of us have more than one. Each of us are dependent on the spiritual gifts within the body. If one person does not utilize his or her gift, the whole body suffers. We need each of us on our spiritual journey, which is collectively being done as a body of Christ, we need each other in the spiritual bodies, battles that we fight. We are dependent upon each other and we need each other. Now our spiritual gifts, they're not dependent on age, they're not dependent on intelligence, they're not depending on our physical proudness. They are Holy Spirit given and Holy Spirit energized. We must be, have the willingness to be submissive to the Lord to utilize them for his glory. That's where it comes in, our willingness. Many of you do as I do, read the daily bread to start off my morning devotions. I'm sure many of you have done this. Back on December 29th, 2022, I read a devotional that was entitled, I Will Say Yes to God. Perhaps some of you will remember it as I briefly go over what it was about. It recounts an event that took place in 1835. It describes a young woman who could not sleep. She had been suffering with a physical disability for many years. The account states that she was scheduled to be on center stage at a church function to raise money for a Christian educational project. But she had troubling thoughts within herself. I am not worthy. I am not worthy. Unable to sleep, she tossed and turned, doubting her qualifications and questioning the very aspect of her spiritual life. Now, still restless the next day, when she woke up, she moved to a desk and picked up a pen and paper and wrote down some words. The words now make up a classical hymn entitled, Just As I Am. I'm referring to Charlotte Elliott. What's not included in this short account, and I'm sure it's due to space, was that it appears she developed this disability of hers at a very young age in her 20s. It worsened in a very short period of time, and by the time she was 30, her health was seriously impaired. She was bedridden. She suffered battling with depression over this. She's brought up in a Christian home. And after finally giving in to a request of a visiting pastor by the name of Caesar Mallon, she finally confided in him about her problem. His counsel, by the power of the Holy Spirit, proved to be a turning point in her life. She was 32 at this point now. He talked with her about her discouragements her spiritual problems that she was having. Eventually, it resulted in true saving faith for her. The central truth 
that Dr. Mallon impressed upon her was this. You must come just as you are. A sinner to the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Did not matter that she was an invalid. Come just as you are. Now this song, Just As I Am, has been used throughout the years to assist many to come forward, to repent of their sins and receive Christ and profess Him as their Lord and the Savior. But what I find so interesting about this was the fact that it was written by a believer who thought her abilities and gifts were not good enough to serve in some capacity because of her disabilities and maybe her lack of self-confidence or skill. I know many of us may feel the same way. I know I do. I'm standing here. I have no biblical education in lines or training, didn't do any seminars. I don't feel comfortable in front of people talking, believe it or not. And I personally feel I'm not worthy to stand up here and open God's word and feebly try to expound a single word of God's glorious revelation from the Holy Scriptures. I'm only a sinner saved by grace. But just as I am, I come. If you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and you're willing, as we're commanded to do, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice unto him, to put it all on the altar, which is what's logical, which is what's reasonable in our service because of all his mercies, all the mercies that he's given to us, bestowed upon us, Jesus wants to use you. Just as you are, come. Let him use you. Maybe your body is crawling or slipping off the altar. Maybe it needs to be repositioned back on the altar. I'm going to tell you, yield yourself totally up to God. We all need to do this, maybe several times a day even. Give him your complete being. None of us are perfect, but we can be used by him, and he wants to use us. Come as you are. And if you don't know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, this is the time to come. Today is a day of salvation. Repent of your sins, cry out to God. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. But please count the cost. Jesus said in Luke 9, 23, If anyone wishes to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. It'll cost you everything. He wants your total being. He wants you, all of you. He's calling. The question is, will you respond to his call? I've asked uh, David to use Just As I Am as a closing hymn today. Uh, and while we're singing it, at least the first four verses or so of it, and I'm asking if the Holy Spirit's moved you to respond in some way, if you want to put yourself back on the altar, present yourself a living and holy sacrifice unto him in the quietness of your heart. You don't have to go anywhere. You don't have to raise your Raise your hand, you don't have to say anything. But as we're singing the hymn, just tell to the Lord, Lord, use me. Use me as you see fit. Just as I am, I come. Dan. Yeah.